Okay, so let's start. Again, I tried to do this somewhat in order. So you, you're, you're going to start a market garden and you've got this big expanse of pasture. What are you going to do? Where do you start? Well, you know, somehow that soil has to be prepared in order to make your beds. And there's a number of ways to do that. JM in the Market Gardener popularized the walking tractor, specifically BCS, because that's the main one that's available in the US. Um, and he sold thousands of walking tractors from that book. I mean, he didn't sell them, but BCS you know, they should pay JM something because yeah. he uh, literally, everybody went out and bought walking tractors or BCSs. Of course, Elliot Coleman actually had recommended walking tractors years earlier. Um, but JM, there's some updated equipment, the rotary plow, the rotary harrow, and the flail mower which are really the three tools that I think are, if you're gonna get a BCS, those are the tools you wanna get. And even maybe not the rotary plow. You know, it, it depends on, the nice thing about a rotary plow is that it can actually turn in very tall cover crops. It's quite impressive to watch a BCS uh, work in a, a cover crop. Um, but JM also uses them to raise a bed. So a rotary plow is basically a big auger screw turning like this. And what it does is it throws the dirt to the side. Similar in a way to a moldboard plow, but um, it, I, I, I thought it would really beat up the soil like a, a rototiller does, but it actually doesn't beat it up as much as you would think. And if you need raised beds, if you're in an area that has a hard time drying out in the spring, it's quite an easy, comparatively easy way to make raised beds. You go down one side and throw the dirt here, come back the other side and throw the dirt there, and voila, you have a raised bed. The rotary harrow has teeth like this as compared to a rototiller, which turns like this. A rotary harrow turns like this and just incorporates stuff into the, and you have a, a gauge wheel that controls the depth. And so you can just incorporate compost and, and things into the top few inches. That's a very handy tool. And then the flail mower is a wonderful tool for at the end of your crop, end of the season, if you're growing broccoli, even though we told you not to. Um, and, and again, you know, broccoli is a great crop, but as far as profit per square foot, it's very low, very low. Um, but, you know, what are you going to do? You've got all these huge plants that you've harvested. You take the, the flail mower down that and it just, it, it has a barrel turning this way with teeth on it that just grind it up. 
and it's a great way to to get rid of crops at the end of the season um, you know where as compared to a lawnmower or a bush hog which shoots stuff to the side the flail mower grinds it up and it sits right there so it does a much better job of of incorporating helping you incorporate that material organic matter okay if you have the space and you need a tractor anyway so like for us we live on a 160 acre farm uh, it's not ours it's my parents we're fortunate enough to share crop on it we're squatters um, but you know we've got a lot of pasture too much to to cut with a bcs so we really have to have a tractor well if you've got to have a tractor anyway for the size of your property why not and and we didn't do this because we weren't thinking ahead enough but why not get a tractor that would work with your 30 inch bed and i gave you one example a kubota l3300 um, it's a 33 horsepower tractor that you can set the wheel spacing for 30 inches. And actually Ben Hartman in the Lean Farm does this. He's the one that gave me the idea. I, you know, I never thought that you could use a tractor on a 30 inch bed system. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. You get the mechanical help of a tractor but yet the efficiency of a intensive bed system. And of course, your other companies, I'm not trying to push Kubota, but your other companies do, you know, have similar tractors. I just don't know all the numbers. Now I will say with Kubota, they make it hard to resist because they will offer you zero down, zero interest for five years on a tractor. That's hard to beat. Anyway, so that's another option. But of course, you know, you're talking, believe me, I've looked into one because I'd love to have one. Um, but, you know, you're talking, depending, you know, I, I'll just tell you a front end loader, a bucket on a tractor is the most useful tool on a farm. I've said that for years and I still stick by it. You can do so much with a front end loader on a tractor. But if you get a, a one with that, um, you know, it's gonna be $22,000, for a new one. Obviously you can buy used maybe if you can find it. Okay, can you get the tools, the BCS tools for uh, a tractor? Yes, you can get a rotary harrow with a three-point hitch. You can definitely get a flail mower. I don't know about the rotary plow, but if you're going to have a tractor, the tool I would recommend instead of a rotary plow is a spader, reciprocating spader which is a very, very expensive tool, but it does a very good job. It's an Italian tool. That, that's the problem. All these tools come, or many of them come from Europe, and so it's just expensive. Basically, a spader is gonna cost you at least $1,000 per foot of width. 
So if you want a five foot wide spader, you're going to pay at least $5,000. But it's a very good tool. So another option, and you know, I, I mentioned here a little further on down, Connor Crickmore, the highest grossing market gardener I know of, has no tractor. He does have a BCS, but he it's mothballed. He's he doesn't use it. Says it doesn't make him money. Um, so how can you do it without a tractor or a BCS? You can actually. Um, I mean, there are two other options. One is to use the silage tarps we've been talking about. Heavy duty plastic. UV treated, so it's going to last for many years. Don't go to Lowe's or Home Depot and buy their plastic because it'll break down in a season. But these are especially UV treated big sheets of plastic, black on top, white on the bottom. Um, you just lay that out on sod, you know, mow it close, try to get it down close. Lay that out, make sure the soil is moist and wait for a year, ideally. And you pull that back and you will have the richest, loosest, beautifulest soil you've ever seen. It's amazing. Um, this is what that was the big takeaway from visiting JM's farm that first time. He he has incredible biology in his soil and he pulled the tarp back and I mean there were these huge earthworms crawling all over the surface of of that tarp you know they love it under there it's warm and moist and dark no birds are going to get them they just they just come up and take all that organic matter down just loosens your soil up. You pull that tarp off, it's moist, it's loose, it's ready to work. It's the closest thing I have seen to no work gardening. It's still work because you gotta lay it out and anchor it down because the wind's gonna try to blow it away. And Where do you buy silage tarps? Um, <clears throat> farmer's friend. <laughs> Uh, that's one place I can't tell you locally. I don't know if anybody knows, you know, you have to do some research. I, I had a hard time. Yeah. Somebody's saying visit a dairy farm and that's a great thing. And I know people all over the world, friends in Australia, we visited and they get their silage tarp from the local dairymen. You know, they use them for one season and throw them away um, you know they may have a few holes but you can buy patching tape from farmer's friend for for patching it up so that is a good option um, for use silage tarp as far as new you know again you may have to do some sleuthing but johnny's now sells them farmer's friend sells them they sell hundreds of rolls all over the country Kind of expensive to ship because they're heavy but so that's a third option the last one is just hire or rent a tractor to come in and work it up initially 
and then just go from there. So those are the four options that I would suggest for field working. I do talk a little bit about rototiller. I'm not a big fan of rototillers because in my opinion, they usually do more harm than good. You know, I like to use the analogy of taking a moist chocolate cake. You have to dry it out first, but you know, put it in a dehydrator and then put it in a blender. And what do you end up with? You're gonna end up with a fine powder. And that's kind of what a rototiller is doing to your soil. Um, it's destroying the tilth, destroying the um, structure, you know, not to mention all the earthworms that you're decapitating. Um, also bringing up um, weed seeds from down, you know, weed seeds can lay dormant in the soil for decades. And every time you rototill, you're bringing those new seeds to the surface. So the tillage we're encouraging is very surface tillage with, now we're gonna talk about a broad fork. You're working the soil deeply, but you're not turning it over. And I know somebody's gonna ask about, you know, Mrs. White's counsel about plowing deeply. Um, and that's a whole debate. In fact, we've got a friend in Australia doing research on that right now. That's one of those hotly debated things. My personal take is that she was, what she was really saying is work the ground deeply. She said plow deeply because that was all they had back then. That's what they used. And if you look at what plow deeply means, most plows back then, if you went six inches deep, that was pretty deep. Um, it turns the soil, it inverts the soil, which I've heard different arguments. Some people say that's good. Some people say that's bad. Anyway, we, I don't want to get down that rabbit trail, but um, I, I say if you have a rototiller, use it very judiciously. Only when you're incorporating organic matter, but don't just keep tilling to make it look fluffy and pretty because the more you do that, the more you're burning up your organic matter, the more you're destroying your soil structure, it's going to blow away, it's going to wash away, it's going to crust over, and it's a vicious cycle. You don't want to go down. Okay, so let's talk about soil preparation tools. So you want to get out your your Johnny's catalog, okay, digging fork on page 222. This is a, a English hand forage digging tool. And, and again, you can go to the, the local hardware store and get one for 25 bucks. The, the digging fork is what I'm talking about here, J on page 222. I'll tell you, this one is not my favorite, but my favorite seems to, um, the manufacturer seems to have gone out of business. I, I still want to do some re research to try to track it down, but I have an English digging fork that I've had for 20 years, and I love it. I, I don't know the brand, that's the problem, um, but the tines are just a little bit different shape. This one 
is plenty sturdy enough. It just isn't quite as easy to get in the ground as, as the one I have. But um, it's the best that I know of out there. Broad Fork, page 209. Um, Elliot Coleman tells you why this shape tine works best. The traditional tine shape there. Um, I've, I've tried a number of different broad forks. This is my favorite one. It comes in three different widths. But basically what you're doing, especially once you get your soil in good shape, you can use the model 727, 27 inches wide, and just go down your bed and you're just, you're just stepping on it, pushing it in, pulling it back until the soil cracks, step back a, a, a step, push it in, pull it back. So you just get into a rhythm and it's, it's pretty fast. And it's not, if your soil's in good shape, it's not hard work. I mean, it is good exercise. You know, this is all just, when you look at the prices, you're saying, whoa, that's a lot of money. But this is gym membership here. This is, um, you know, you're, it's, it's doing double duty. Would we start out with the 727? Um, you're probably going to need to start out with the digging fork. That's because if your ground is at all compacted, don't even try to use a broad fork. You'll, you'll break the handles, you'll bend it, you'll do something. You can't loosen that much dirt at one time. But once you've loosened it, and if you have a no walk policy, don't let anybody walk on your beds. And once you start getting the organic matter built up, it's not going to compact. And then the 727 is great. But I would probably recommend the 520 for starting out just because it's a little easier to handle, especially for... Well, it's, it's actually supposed to be not any heavier than the 727, but in the soil, obviously, you're moving more soil, so sometimes for a lady, it may be a little bit much. A broad fork does not work well with rocky soil. A broad fork really works best by, with just keeping good soil aerated. That's what it's doing. It's working the soil deeply. Okay, this is a question about traditional broad fork tines versus the hard pan. You know, the hard pan ones are designed not to bend as easily, but I will tell you they're not as easy to push into the ground. So I would just, my recommendation is get rid of your hard pan first by using a, a digging fork or something something that's a little more sturdy and narrower that you can work it up and then amend it. Um, I, I highly recommend peat moss for loosening hard soils. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.